Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Scene From Above podcast at the end of Season 6. I'm Alistair. And I'm Andrew. And we are your hosts for a show that aims to bring you an informal discussion about the cool things happening around the world of Earth observation at the moment. This episode, we have an exclusive interview with the Radiant Earth Foundation's chief data scientist to explain the thinking behind mlhub.earth. So we've got a special guest today with us, Hamid, the chief data scientist from Radiant Earth Foundation. So Hamid, do you want to just give yourself an introduction, give us a bit of background about what you do in Radiant Earth Foundation, and then we're going to crack on and talk about ML hub that you guys have been working on. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for having me on the podcast today. I pronounce my name Hamed. Hamid is my brother, but you can call both of us an exchange. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I am really sorry. That's actually a nice thing. People also sometimes mistake us in the streets because we look alike. So yeah, I'm the chief data scientist at Radiant Earth Foundation. Uh, we are a nonprofit organization. Uh, my background is in remote sensing and data science particularly working during my PhD at MIT, I was working on fusion of uh, different microwave satellites. Uh, so that might be surprising because nowadays I work more on the kind of optical imagery, multispectral data, but back then I was working a lot with microwave. Then before joining Radiant, uh, I was at Columbia University for a year, uh, particularly building uh, machine learning models for soil moisture estimation using a NASA mission called SNAP. And here at Radiant, uh, since September 2017, it's getting almost three years, uh, I'm basically leading development of uh, Radiant ML Hub, which we're going to talk about it more today. Okay, cool. So, I mean, I've signed up now for ML Hub, and, you know, I hope that it sort of informs me a bit in our discussion. So I've, I've had a quick look, and you've got a Slack group, and you've got some API documentation. There's a notebook on Collaboratory, which is Ace, and there's there's some videos that are up online but i think really a sort of good place to start is what is ml hub and what's the sort of beginnings for people to sort start using it ml hub you can think about it as a repository that you can get data from so if you're interested in building a new machine learning application you're looking for training data you can come to ml hub and look for training data at the same time if you have generated the training data you want to to share it with others, you can put it on MLHub. So it's a two-way, basically, pipeline, both for researchers or, or developers who are generating training data and for those who are interested to get data out. It is addressing the problems around search, discovery, and access. Those are the, really the key terms we look for it here. And that was why we got motivated and interested to work on this problem, because uh, this was about two years ago that we had some brainstorming around a land cover training data set, and we were like, okay, where can people find data, uh, particularly training data? I mean, we are getting better at serving the raw imagery data, and the stack was being also advanced those days. But where is the training data repository? Where can I get those? And looking at the ML computer vision community, we see a lot of those good examples that people share benchmark data and good resources. So that was how we brainstormed the idea of ML Hub and then uh, became actually the main uh, focus of Radiant Earth since, since last year. But how can users interact with them? What should they expect? They should expect to see a documentation with the data, a good citation, explanation of how the data was generated, so they can basically trace back uh, the data. We are making sure if the data is hosted on MLHub, it is not just a file. Uh, it is well documented. You can easily access it and use it. And then gradually building the community, you can see how others are using that data. 
uh, oh, for someone, for example, used this training data set and built this model. Now I can use it and compare my model against their model because we are using the same training data. So we can benchmark models against them. So, so can we get into a bit more detail of what training data actually is? Also, on top of that, if I've got some data and I want to give it to you, how do you control that I'm, that I'm fitting in with your standard process that it's actually becoming useful that I'm, I'm aiding it and not causing you guys more of a headache? Good question. So let's start with the training data. So what we mean by training data is thinking mathematically, you have the X of the problem and the Y of the problem. So you have the predictor and the predictant. You want to input something to the model and get something out. So you have examples of that from previous events. It can be annotations on a high-resolution imagery of buildings and roads. It can be crop labels on Sentinel-2 imagery. It can be outputs of a physical model matched with, again, some uh, uh, airborne imagery or satellite imagery. It is the bundle of input and output. That's really the key part here. We don't want to, again, leave people with just one thing and then go figure out the other one, whether it's the X or the Y of the problem. And that's what the terminology that we use, ML-ready. So the data is ready for a user to start building their model rather than thinking about, oh, what is the X of the problem? How can I reproject this and put it in the other one? Uh, where is my rasterization or vectorization, the other way of the, the problem? So making it easier. That's what we call training data. Whether the format is raster or vector, it depends on the data. Uh, some of the data are well suited to be raster, so we serve them as raster. The big earth net, it's 66 gig. 66 gig is, is a reason not to get into this area, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and that's one of the reasons we have ML Hub, so that you can have the data in a cloud format that you can easily select. If you don't want to get all the data out, you can easily pre-select the data. I mean, now the way you can access BigEarthNet, which has been a huge effort, is that you need to download that 66 gigabyte of the data from a web interface, right? So yeah, that's that addresses the need, but can we facilitate that access? That, that is really the key part. So we encourage more people. We lower the barrier to entry for more people, basically. And that's why we are working on ML Hub. And we're actually uh, talking to the bigger snake. Ah, awesome. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I don't want to be disingenuous to bigger I mean, obviously, it's probably not designed for me to download to my 250 gigabyte laptop. I think you're right. It's search and discovery is still too hard. Yeah, it is. It is. And uh, the, the thing is, so uh, I want to bring up the stack here that the key uh, technology that enables ML Hub is a stack here because the stack allows us to catalog the data no matter where the data sits. So the data can be on any of the public cloud providers. We at ML Hub only need the JSON static catalog based on the stack, uh, basically, specification to be on our API. Then when a user comes to our API and search for a specific data, there are different query parameters, whether it's spatial domain, temporal domain, the labels, the source imagery, it, the problem of interest, like keywords around that. They find a specific data set. They can download the data through the same API connection without the need of, OK, I need to go to that cloud now and then access a bucket, install the client for that cloud service, and get the data out, right? ML Hub is addressing that, and it is being basically driven by the development and stack. Uh, so that has been really a key feature here. I mean, the data that we are hosting now, so some of the data we are actually hosting on our own bucket. Uh, these are the data that Radian puts out. But we have two examples of data that are not hosted on our bucket. One is the SpaceNet, uh, which is on their own AWS bucket. Uh, but we also have the, the Chesapeake Bay land cover data, which is produced by the Microsoft AI for Earth and Chesapeake Bay Conservancy Group. That is sitting in Microsoft Azure. 
and it is managed by Microsoft Air for Earth. The bucket is not owned by Radiant. But we have access to that. We have managed that connection. We have the catalog. So if you come to Radiant API, Radiant ML Hub API, you see that data set and you can extract it the same way you extract it. That's absolutely brilliant. In the UK, we're slowly beginning to get a little bit of traction with Stack. There's more and more people talking about it. When Andrew and I have been out at events and things, there's people coming up to us and we're having conversations about Stack. But it's only been so far in the context of pulling in imagery. But now to be able to use the same technology to come and look at your API and pull in training data and stuff like that. That's really cool. Yes, and that is part of the, the community work, right? That uh, I mentioned it's part of our work that uh, these things doesn't, doesn't don't happen overnight. We, we need to put efforts into that, the development of the stack. I mean, the, I was thinking about this podcast. I remember the first time we discussed the label extension as part of the stack, which originally was called training data extension because we were only thinking about training data. But then some feedback was, okay, we might share the output of a model and the source imagery as a bundle. So that can be just a label. It's not necessarily training data. It was in June 2018. We had a workshop at Radian about a land cover training data set. And we gathered the community to discuss what would be a specification of that data set if we want to generate. And a working group in that workshop was focused on, OK, if we generate it, how can we catalog it? And what is the best way to describe the metadata of that and put it on a basically API? That process has taken long. There are a lot of revisions as you with the stack. Different versions come up. People start uh, basically implementing a version. They give feedback. It gets discussed in the sprints and also the weekly meetings, and then gets implemented and merged to the uh, official release for the next one. So it has been a continuous process. And the fact that people are testing it, it's, it's, it's a nice thing because we get the feedback regularly and then we update it. I mean, we, I mean, again, the community, it's not just Radian, as you know. I like to ask a provocative question. Do you think that we are doing too much as a community for developers? Can you elaborate on that? <laughs> what I mean is a lot of API stuff, is that going to go over a lot of people's head? Uh, that's a very good observation. I would say, I would say to some extent, yes. Uh, but part of that might be we haven't built the bridge to the end user, uh, right? So the, the end user would be interested at a higher level product, at a higher level of access to the data than like a root level access, if I may call it. Uh, we haven't built that. And some of those discussions are around, OK, what is the application a specific way of serving that data? Some of the conversations in the last six months or so that I have seen is that, can we do this on the fly? So rather than, oh, let's say for an agricultural application, I need these 10 layers at this spatial and temporal resolution, and I store that data in that format on a bucket, I say, no, I have a tool that generates that on the fly when the user requests it. How can we as a community reach out further and say, welcome? Yes, that's a, that's a, good, uh, that is a good point. And the way we are thinking about it at, at Radian, and particularly with uh, Radian ML Hub, is, OK, in the first version, we are releasing everything through an API. But as you said, that is really for developers. The next year is we will have a web interface that a user with just knowledge of a web interface interaction can come and search for data on a visual interface without any coding needed and yep. then download the data if they want to download the data. It seems to me that you feel that being open is very important to Radiant. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, being open and being collaborative, both of those are really principles uh, of Radiant as a team and, and as an organization. Okay, cool. We're just about out of time, unfortunately. I think I could talk to you for a long time. Thank you so much, Hamid. Best of luck with ML Hub. Absolutely. Yeah, Thank you very much. Thank you both. And nice to seeing you both here. Yeah. Thank you so much. Have a good one. 
You can reach us via the podcast webpage, seenfromabove.org, where you'll also find the podcast archive and show notes. Follow the show on Twitter via at EOSceneFrom and using the hashtag SceneFromAbove. If you have any requests for new segments, topics for us to discuss, or guests you'd like to hear from, then we encourage you to drop us a line. Please do get in touch and help us build a vibrant community around the podcast. Thanks for listening, and that's it for now. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Alistair. Music is Cracker Jacks and Tin Whistles by Ocean Heights and is licensed under the Attribution Non Commercial Creative Commons license. Available on freemusicarchive.org.